0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A episode for this second week of January. Is it the second? I don't know. It's the middle of January. It is 10.24 p.m., Thursday night, January 16th. It's been a pretty crazy busy week in the Pruitt household. My wife, who is awesome, is doing her butt-kicking routine in physical therapy and chemotherapy all kinds of therapies and we've got a heavier list of appointments this week tomorrow we have three doctor appointments in a span of two hours in two different cities so uh fueled up this evening and uh I'm uh, hopefully not gonna get caught in any speed traps. Uh or won't run any red lights. I'm gonna try and be a good motorist, but it's been a really busy week. So I mentioned this because I feel bad that here we are at almost ten thirty PM Thursday night, California, and I'm putting the first minute or two of your listener QA IndyCar episode together. So I will I guess this is an excuse up front. Pretty tired, y'all, like really tired. I was sitting there debating, do I try and crawl into bed early or at least make some headway here while Mrs. Pruitt is uh, enjoying well-deserved bath and wind down from a very busy day. So I'm going to do all I can. As usual, y'all sent in a bunch of great questions and a lot of them. So I don't know. I'm going to go as long as I can. At least until she sends me a text and says, Hey, idiot, come help me. So that's the plan for tonight. Going to mention a couple newsy ish things up front. One of them being great news today that just across the bay, our man, Mr. James Hinchcliffe, celebrating announcing a new deal with Genesis, a cloud based customer service interaction, such-and-such such thing. Uh, actually, not too far removed from what fellow Beria guy Jerry Holderbrand has had with Salesforce doing kind of sort of similar things uh, in terms of cloud-based client services. But yeah, Hinch was daily city-bound doing this announcement. Hasn't said who's going to be with for a team because he doesn't have that cinched up yet. So did I just say Hinch and Cinch in the same sentence? Yes, I did. Uh, where is he going to end up? As I wrote in my silly season thing a little while ago on Racer. Would say Dale Coyne would be a pretty solid place to consider a landing spot. Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan would be another. We know that Bob's house of race cars. They definitely offer a premium product, and there tends to be a price tag that is definitely high-end, not a criticism. That's not negative. Hey, if you can get people to pay it, charge it. But if we're looking at finances being at all something that aren't just totally free-flowing, wondering if Dale Coin might be a better fit and hopefully also a competitive fit as well. Chip Ganassi Racing, know that conversations have taken place there, inquiries about doing the month of May, possibly a little bit more with our Week in IndyCar guest this week, Mike Hull. Asked him that very question about the very guy and said, in pretty straightforward terms, it's a little late for us to put together a fourth IndyCar for the Speedway. So, doesn't really sound like Chip Ganassi Racing timeline wise. Is an option for the mayor. Did text with Hinch a little bit this evening, just on some lighthearted stuff, uh, nothing related to the deal. But do look forward to learning more about where he might end up. Here's another crazy thing. You want to talk about rumors? And I wouldn't put this one as a, oh, it's going to happen, but who knows? Maybe it could. There's been rumors as well that the mayor of Hinchtown has even been looking in as far as trying to start his own team. Wouldn't that be great? take control of your future also takes control of all of your finances i mean you want to talk about selling everything how many kidneys do i really need do i need both eyeballs both arms both legs what can i sell we don't want to see our man on the black market trying to sell his own body parts to finance an any car team of his own but i've heard that and from some pretty smart people so who knows could that be a thing for this year? Nah, it'd be a difficult, difficult deal to make happen. For the future, I'd love to see it. I made that change in my life uh what, 15 plus years ago? Working for others? Nah, it's all right. I'm going to start my own small business and be my own boss. And that's what I've been. So I would love when I hear, at least a consideration for folks like Hinch saying, you know what, I could keep trying to find money and bring it to other people, or I could try and find that very same money and invest it in myself, in my own team, my own business. So can't tell you if that's going to happen or not, but I love the idea that it's at least been thought about. Thinking, not sure, just got some little Feelings, we might finally hear some news on the AJ Foyt Racing Team about their plans for this upcoming season in a formal sense. Could that be tomorrow, Friday, which could be today when you're listening to this? Could it be Monday, Tuesday? I don't know. Just heard a little thing here, there that they might finally be ready to say something. I'm not always trying to give myself an out but I do want to just overstate the obvious. We're here in January 16th. I'm confident in saying the lineup is and has been in place for a while. So the fact that it hasn't been announced makes me think that if it were to not happen this Friday or next Monday or Tuesday, wouldn't be a shock. (laughs) There have been plenty of opportunities to say this is what we're doing this is who we're doing it with Uh, so if that were to slide and not happen it wouldn't surprise me as well but anyways that's a little bit there uh what else i don't know if this is going to get mentioned in print it might never get mentioned again but an interesting call today with someone on the topic of testing and some potential i don't know if i want to say conflicts of interest but uh maybe trying to game the system a little bit in getting extra days and or uh just pushing the the spirit of the testing rules i know what i'm saying here is totally vague and i need to keep it vague right now it was a really interesting conversation and if it goes farther i will certainly fill you in on it but the main takeaway was wow this series is getting really competitive. People are looking not only for any little tiny way to eke out an advantage through the rules, but also their rivals are watching them. And mo- Everyone's monitoring everybody brutally. I mean, again, we've only had, what, two test days so far this year at Sebring? <laughs> Four total cars have been on track, and it's crazy hyper competitive If everyone trying to watch one another's moves and plans and trying to step in and possibly intervene uh so yeah it's the off season right sure everybody's trying to jack with each other as much as possible i love that speaking of love on tuesday the 14th marked the two-year anniversary of the loss of my good friend, and many people's good friend, inspiration, hero, and otherwise, Dan Gurney, the Big Eagle, and always a reason to stop and think and pause and ask oneself, how are we doing as a sport? Are we doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing And whatever I am? Are others asking themselves, are they doing the right thing, trying to use Dan's life Dan's contributions, everything that he did really is the gold standard, the finest example of how to live one's life in and around motor racing, contribute, make it better. Time to pause, at least for hashtag me personally, maybe some others on that two-year anniversary to say, huh, Big Eagle isn't here. The, uh, The guru isn't here to set that standard. So how are we doing? What are we doing? Are we doing things right. And so I can't really say whether I am. That's not up for me to decide. But I know that in just reaching out as we do every month or two to Dan's wife Evie just to give her our love, she in particular has been amazing throughout this what is this now Four seventeen 17 month cancer fight? My wife and I have been in my wife in particular. Um, she's been amazing throughout it. Uh, just lending support, uh, sending emails, sending gifts for my wife. Just out of nowhere. Beautiful things show up. <laughs> I mean, Again, I, I hate to say that, keep saying this, but it never stops being true. I'm just a guy, I'm just a son of a mechanic. I just love racing, I've worked in it, and I type words and talk into microphones. There's really nothing major. Seriously, what I do, who I am, it's pretty ordinary compared to those who do things that are really extraordinary, legendary, be written about, be remembered. And so to have friends like Dan Freaking Gurney and Evie Gurney and Justin and Alex... And to have them collectively and individually reaching out, and Evie in particular reaching out and caring for my wife and sending her love, and just it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that never stops being surreal. And so she sent over a nice photo. I thought it was really touching, just sharing with you all here. This really isn't meant for sharing beyond this group and this episode, but she sent over a beautiful photo. Uh, where they had bought 36. That's uh, one of Dan's famous numbers, number he used to win the Belgian Grand Prix in 1967 and the first uh, American-built, American-owned, American-driven, American-everything Formula One car. Uh, they bought 36 Red Roses, placed that in a nice little vase, and put that below a beautiful photo on the wall of the big Eagle and uh, everybody at all American racers took about three minutes of silence. Uh, I believe, which you think about three minutes, it's a long time and just spent some time in, in reflection. So I want to mention that before we get rolling here on the show that we're happy for Hinch, happy that positive things are coming, whether it's an RLL a Dale Coin Racing, a whomever racing. I think he's going to be in a really good position, and I'm so happy for him to have found a new sponsor in Genesis. New for him, new for the sport. Pretty big opportunity here, instead of having to scrape a little bit from this sponsor and that sponsor and make it happen, but barely, and also happen in a way that isn't maybe very sustainable. This feels like something that if it goes well, could build and become more. So really happy for Hinch. Obviously hoping that we hear more about the Foyt team and their plans getting that finalized. Carlin Racing as well, which is on the clock, to announce what they're going to do. Got a nice text from Ricardo Hunkos today. said, hey, not ready to talk about things yet. Not done, but... Things are really, truly looking, continuing to look up and more positive than ever for our IndyCar program in something happening. So that is another thing I'm hoping to have to speak about here soon. And then obviously just thinking about the Big Eagle and what he is, what he was, and how some of us, hopefully many of us, try to live and work In his image, because that's a pretty amazing thing to try and live up to. So, let's do the two kind of normal pieces of business before we get going. With your Q&A, as we say thank you as always to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. As Toronto Motorsports does every week, they give stuff away to you. Based on your questions from the previous episode that you post to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. It's still really weird saying my name uh, like that. Uh, so, Eric M. Carlson, your question last week for our guest Colton Herta, uh, talking about bringing back the IROC series again, which I didn't really answer a ton, but I answered a little bit. That got the most likes. That's the metric we use. Which question do people like the most? Give the most likes. Get the most upvotes. And yours was the winner. So Eric, send me a direct massage. Give me your email address in that direct message. And I'll get you connected with TorontoMotorsports.com who will ask you if you want a t-shirt or a mug or some stickers or I don't know what. Uh, Weekend in IndyCar stuff or the variety of other nonsense from this podcast that are good pals there in Toronto make for you all, and they'll send it your way. So, Eric Carlson, thanks, man. Great question. And to close our little cold open and get rocking and rolling into our warm Q&A brought to you, some of you may know that among the ways to contribute questions each week, obviously have Facebook obviously have twitter the reddit indycar group is the third really the only other entry point for questions and matt Reckert, among the other could be Reckhart. i'm not sure matt i've never asked how i should correctly pronounce your last name maybe it's because folks know i'm the last name assassin and i destroy them uh they're doing a pretty cool thing they are trying to raise funds they've been somewhat successful so far for the Serious Fun Children's Network that in its that name might not tell you but that's Camp Boggy Creek that is Paul Newman's amazing initiative something uh, a retreat a place where kids dealing with disease medical issues cancer you name it kids who are going through hell go to a retreat have fun be a kid play all free, all everything. Joseph Newgarden, our reigning IndyCar champion, is a big advocate and supporter of the Serious Fun Children's Network. So our pals at the Reddit IndyCar group are just trying to raise money to support it. Why? They're really good people. (laughs) I know Reddit might... Not always be the place that you think of as the finer members of society uh, congregating there. Well, I can tell you that on the IndyCar group, they do good things. And so they certainly would love, if you have an interest, to donate some money to the GoFundMe page I've put together trying to raise about $5,000 just to give to the Serious Fund Children's Network. Or if you want to volunteer some time, if either of those things move you, just know that. If you visit reddit.com forward slash R forward slash IndyCar, there is information there on their off-season charity drive. Good on Matt and the entire group for just doing the thing that I love to do. Uh, I'm crazy, crazy fortunate to make a living doing the thing I love. That's been the passion of my life. I get money to do this professionally. That's kind of silly. Um, my wife and I have been going through the craziest adversity of our lives. And thousands, truly thousands of people have helped, donated, just unbelievable. And I don't know. I just look at stuff like this and say, man, that's the way the world is supposed to work. I'm not trying to evangelize here, just want to be really direct in saying, every time that I see someone do good things like this, I am just so filled with faith and happiness (laughs) because if you turn on the television or read news or hell just hit social media, it seems like everything has fallen apart. Everybody hates each other. The world is going to end tomorrow and so on and so forth. Uh, It just really makes me happy to see. So, the Reddit IndyCar group. Uh, if you hit my, I think I reached, I think I tweeted it out. If you saw that, that might be a really easy link to get to. Otherwise GoFundMe is where they're doing this. Uh, and you can check out, uh, the Reddit IndyCar groups, serious fun children's network fundraising effort. So there you go. All right, we're going to get rolling. What are we going to get rolling with? Is there questions? Is there questions? No beer tonight, by the way. Uh, i have a couple of drops of coffee ah that's old coffee but i don't know i think coffee i think it ages and gets stronger right isn't that how it works i don't know uh it's a no no beer night for this q a episode why it's ten forty four, man come on i'll be falling asleep i'd be snoring like a fool and that's i'm probably already putting you to sleep So all of the misspokings, not a word, but let's go with it. All of the just flubbed lines, all the mistakes I make, there's zero credibility in me saying I've had something to drink, that's to blame. It's just me sucking. So there you go. And if you haven't listened before, I, with great pride, refer to my listener Q&A show as an unpolished turd, hashtag unpolished turd. All right, we're going to get rolling here. <laughs> Our man, Joshua Ponce. Josh, by the way, thanks for always sending stuff in. Uh, I, I do appreciate it. Uh, Marshall, with the talks that Andretti Sport is closing in on a ride for Fernando Alonso. For this year's Indy 500, what engine will he have? Honda or Chevy? He says, I know the big H was not happy with Alonzo's outburst a couple of years ago, talking about their Formula One motor being less powerful than a GP2 engine. And obviously, Aero McLaren SP is using Chevy. I assume they don't have a Honda engine for the 500, but I'm not 100% sure. Nor do I think that Chevy would allow Andretti Autosport to get an engine for that one race. Josh closes by saying, This story is hurting my head just thinking about it. Well, we're going to remove that thorn from your head, Josh. It would indeed be a Honda-powered Andretti Autosport entry. That would be their seventh? Seventh? Seventh. They now have five full-time cars with the addition of Colton Hurta, Racing's Jack Harvey, full-time team, Technical Alliance. So, yeah, that'd push it out to seven. It would indeed be a Honda. I have heard from some very, very solid sources that all sides that were grumpy with Fernando based on those comments you refer to. Uh, it's no longer a case of all sides. Maybe there's been some warming or just maybe enough time has passed. I think that might be it. I think enough time has passed where now that it appears he's not married to McLaren, doing a bit of his own thing i i think maybe there's just a bygones era plus frankly i think they also realize that it's not like we're talking about i was just trying to come up with the name of a formula one driver who was a bit of a hack to just fill the seat um uh, you i'll let you just fill it in with whomever um we're talking about somebody that has clearly demonstrated he can win the race And so I think that's going to be the thing that ultimately uh, gets Honda to a place where they say, okay, come on back. Let's do it. What I don't know, now what would be hilarious, is if, granted, maybe we need to do this for a April Fool's, uh, where Honda announces, Fernando Alonso will be their driver in the race with Arrow. I'm sorry, with Andretti Autosport using a GP2 engine. Now that'd be pretty good. I mean, I, I kind of like that April Fool's announcement right there. Uh, I don't know. What do you do? Is there some sort of like public spanking that that someone from Honda does to, to at least show that you know we're moving on, but we're not forgetting? I don't know. Um, does someone like? Kind of throw a a little stick out in front of his little Kamoa electric skateboard on pit lane, and you know, make him tumble a little bit and scrape his knees and elbows. Yeah, there feels like there has to be some sort of of comeuppance a little bit. And I know just one or two of those things I've mentioned involve violence. And look, forty nine years old, okay. I grew up in a time where you just say stuff like this, you get punched in the face. So uh, I realize that's not totally politically correct today. That's fine. Um, Whatever it is, Josh, I do think we're going to find out that yes, he'll be in one of their cars. It will have a Honda. I still want to see that good old elephant in the room address though. Something, something I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, we'll see what happens there, but uh, something drastic would have to happen for him to not be in that car at this stage. Uh, Let's go to Evan Kramer, MP with the new whisperings of Fernando Alonso, joining forces with Andretti Autosport for the new 500. has to be asked, does this create a long fart? F A A A R T Fart! More importantly, being that Andretti partners with Honda and knowing the tensions between Fernando and Honda, what has suddenly changed? Did they suddenly come to peace with each other? Is there a possibility uh, if this comes to fruition that Honda engines wouldn't be used? So I know that we just answered a lot of that uh, in the opening question. But first of all, I am bummed that it looks like the spam fart, that being Schmidt-Peterson, Aero Motorsports, and the Fernando Alonso racing team will not join forces. So we're going to be denied a couple months worth of spam fart jokes. Okay, it's, this is... I'm. Admittedly, I'm kinda pissed. I might have to deck Alonso when I see him for taking that away from me and us. But yeah, the Fernando Alonso and Dreddy Auto Sport Racing Team FART That's a pretty good alternative, right? And if you you gotta get that falsetto too. Fart Um Yeah, I like what you're doing here, Evan. I really do. The the thing that I've heard does fit a little bit of the the narrative and i can't give you names but i've heard that there's at least one different person in place within the honda racing honda whatever matrix that wasn't around or wasn't part of the bad old days not that long ago but really wasn't there for all the stuff that went down and has just come in with a bit of a different view of like all right well okay but you know that that's silly um I'm going to come back to this similar kind of time, giving you a bit of a different view thing and a question coming. But I think, Evan, that might be the thing that ultimately moves this out of the past into the present, out of the bad place, and just like, okay, let's go racing together. And if you have engine problems, I swear, if you say anything negative. <laughs> <laughs> trust me you're going to be dealing with a long fart in your face in your mouth in your ear we're, tr- we're gonna get you i might have just revealed that i was signed to a deal by honda to eat a lot of chili throughout the month of may to be on call in case i need to uh gas out fernando alonso if he says something bad so keep that between us jim kaiser recent winner of our free stuff from TorontoMotorsports.com. The man who supplies us with haiku every week comes in with a general haiku for the show. Marshall, the show's great. We all love it as it is. Steaming turd pile. (sighs) Jim, I might need to send you more stuff because I just love that too much. Um, (laughs) This is our show. This is our show. It's yours. I love it. Many of you get my personality and sense of humor uh i'm a smart ass sarcasm is a good friend i'm also a boy fart jokes never stop being funny to me uh my wife was just mentioning earlier today like do you guys ever change i'm like look i can't speak for other versions of this model but this one i'm gonna be like i'm gonna be an old man rocking chair cracking up over fart jokes So there you go. Uh, David Zitterbart says, hey, guys, hope all is going great this year. Got a question about rookies. In your humble opinion, how did supercars champ Scotty McLaughlin fare in the test? How did he compare to Wickens and Felix Rosenquist as drivers who spent some time in tin tops before coming to IndyCar? And when is Chip Ganassi Racing going to start a supercars team? Uh, we got a couple questions about Scotty, uh, and I'll get to the different aspects of those uh here in a moment and those questions uh he went very well david uh he went super super well he was within one second of Renus vk who is fastest on this monday test day now around the sebring track short track the one that has been used for a really long time to test it's a 52 second lap Right, if we move this out to a bigger track, and I know this is pretty dumb, but if you kind of double the length of the lap and lap time, you know he'd be about two seconds off at a, you know, Laguna Seca at a, I wouldn't say Road America, but mid ish type place, you know, probably he'd probably be one and a half, two seconds off, which would stand out, right? That that would be alarming. But not after one day. <laughs> the guy the guy has not driven an open-wheel car in 10 years. He's still really young. He's 26. Last time he drove an open-wheel car. It was a Formula Ford, 100 and what 20, 30 horsepower. no wings, no anything, no tires. He did two races in Formula Four. I mean, this guy has no open-wheel experience. Uh, Ten years. He's been in touring cars, V8 supercars, just saying, never seen the track, never this, never that. Uh, I don't know if he's ever driven a turbo engine before. Uh, Just everything, brand new. The fact that he was only a second off of Renus and three-tenths, four-tenths off of Oliver Askew? I mean, come on. Uh, And... Considerably faster than Sage Karam, granted. Ryan Reinbold team have been to a road course and Obama was president uh, and was barely into his second term when they did their last road course race. It's been a long time, so it's not fair to say that he quote beat Sage, uh, but they were faster. Nonetheless, it was super impressive. Uh, I would not throw in the Wickens and Felix comparisons in any way. Wickens and Felix were open wheel drivers, period. Uh, they might've had some sports car diversions, wiki in particular, you know, a couple of years there, uh, quite well in the DTM and all that. But, you know, these are guys that are hardcore and have, were always hardcore open wheel guys, um, I would not, there's no real comparison here. Scotty among the three of them is the true, uh, this isn't mine, totally different world. So he's the fish out of water. Wickens and Felix jumping into IndyCar and going to the front right away. It's what we expect. Not a surprise at all. Uh, as for Chip starting a supercars team, I just don't think he likes the time changes. So that's not going to happen. Uh, let's see Tom Firth. Asking similar things, how was the test for Scotty, but anything to read into uh, maybe a future switch for their Australian Supercars Superstar. I will tell you until the day it gets announced, I don't know when or if it will, but there's always a reason when the captain does stuff like this. Uh, I'm brought back, I actually mentioned this to, uh, to Scott before we started recording our Catching Up With episode. Guys, remember in 2017 when Wayne Taylor Racing's Ricky Taylor was invited to help for half a day or so in Simon Pagino's car at, I think it was, Homestead to do some, I'm using air quotes, brake testing? Um, (laughs) Now, this is no disrespect to Ricky. Do you really think the team needed someone other than Simon Pagano to give them feedback on braking system adjustments or changes or anything else? I mean, right, huh? Paginot is as good as you are ever going to get on the technical side and development side from a driver. Like, you're not going to find anyone better. So, surprise, surprise. Who was announced in August of 2017 as a new Acura Team Penske DPI driver? Ricky Taylor! What do you know? Was that IndyCar thing the evaluation opportunity? Gosh and golly, maybe it was. Obviously, Ricky was driving for a different team. So, again, a lot of stuff that we know here. But uh, he was benchmarked, they were very impressed opportunity with Acura was cemented, boom, he was hired. They already hire and have employed Scotty McLaughlin. So would I say that having put to, put together two consecutive Aussie supercar titles and having won the Bathurst 1000, are they looking at potentially using a guy like McLaughlin in something else, whether it's an IndyCar, an IMSA, uh, I would say that would be a very natural thing for them to at least want to benchmark the guy. Knowing that, you know, Simon's what, 36, 37, Powers 39-ish, maybe? Um, you know, Castro Neves is 40-something for on the sports car side. Montoya similar. It sure seems like a great gift and a thank you in everything from the captain to Scotty but it would also say that anybody who believes that it was just come and have fun, nothing more, we are not using this for anything else to keep an eye on the future with you, maybe outside of Australia. I think you'd be kidding yourself. Uh, da, da, da. Uh, Foxtrot Delta T asked a similar thing, uh, so we've already shed a little bit of light into the test. Um, did want to know if there's anything remotely possible on the IndyCar side for him. And that is it's another facet that I thought was an interesting thing to get into quickly. If they do ultimately decide that Scott is someone that they want to bring to IndyCar, they're going to have to do something unique to get him ready for it. Never done ovals. Hasn't seen any of the tracks is has one day in the car Indy cars testing uh, rules are very limited. So I mean, the amount of days you get are just—they're not—they aren't there. So, am I saying, well, Roger needs to put him in a Indy Lights car for the season uh, and burn a year doing that, getting him ready? No, no, I wouldn't say so. But could there be some interesting applications of ways to get him ready? this is just totally coming out of my behind okay this is not saying this is again just purely if i'm thinking trying to plan how to get scott mclaughlin to come and be an indycar driver which i think might not be a totally implausible thing for the future when one or more of their current stars either retires signs with another team and so on you're not going to want to spend the year being uncompetitive because that's what Scott would be in his rookie year without a serious testing program. He's just going to be spending the whole time learning, becoming very good at the end of it, but we don't know Penske as a guy who says, we're going into a year knowing it's totally written off in this particular entry of ours. So since you can't do like Lance, well, I guess actually you could, you can't do a totally custom we're going to go to a bunch of tracks and test just nonstop with a guy using a current car current engine current everything the rules don't allow it knowing that it would be very possible to buy an Indy Lights car lease an Indy Lights car uh get a hold of a Panos DPO1 champ car and a Cosworth motor probably buy some tires Slash lease tires from Firestone, if not another brand. Uh, If Scott were to come and do this, Penske would want to absolutely start an intensive testing program. Call it a bit of a, a rogue testing program. Since IndyCar's rules do not say, oh, you got a rookie. Well, he's never been on an oval. She's never been on an oval. Here's 10 days. Go do 10 days on ovals. And here's 10 or fifteen road uh, road course test days. Get your rookie ready. Um, this is something where they'd want to have to get they would want to get creative. Could it be in a NASCAR type thing, Very possibly. Could it be in the sports car at a race here or there? It could just saying uh, they would want to get them ready. They would obviously want to do a ton of simulator time. That's great, but actual real hardcore driving. That's the thing they would need to do. They'd have to come up with inventive ways to do that outside of using a Delar DW12 with a Chevy twin turbo V6 motor in it. Cause the rules don't allow. Finally, similar line here. Question of what this test was about from photographs with film. Great name. Uh, did he make any impressions? I was texting with Joseph Newgarden, who was really impressed with him. Um, Some others that I've spoken with, very impressed with him. Uh, The other drivers who are on track with him were very impressed with him. So he did make an impression. Uh, I've been convinced for years now that this guy has something truly unique that would transfer into IndyCar, sports cars, whatever. I hope we get them. I really hope we get them. Uh, Let's go to apropos of something. Hey, Marshall, I want to pitch this idea of combining, uh, the idea of combining removing the Indy Pro 2000 series from the Road to Indy ladder and addressing the need to bring more of an eSports presence to IndyCar. Hashtag me personally. I see a lot of potential in making the bottom rung of the Road to Indy an e racing league and giving the winner a scholarship into a USF 2000 team. Stream the races with commentary. I think you'd have a lot of interested viewers. Happy 2020 to you and best wishes to you and your wife. Well, thank you. Uh, hmm. I don't dislike the idea of having a entry-level eSports connection with the Road to Indy, but not replacing anything. The Road to Indy itself serves a very significant and defined purpose and that is for those who drive actual vehicles carts in particular on motor racing circuits the first step of the road indy being usf 2000 is meant to be the first quote car i guess we for whatever reason carts aren't considered cars i mean they're tiny uh, but anyways um USF 2000 really is meant to be that first highly educational step on the ladder. And it's a place where what you learn there, the real world education from all the mistakes you make in the working with people and working with your mechanic and an engineer type and doing all kinds of real world things the good things that happen the negatives the getting yelled at for doing something wrong for crashing the yelling at someone having an outburst in embarrassing yourself in pissing off your mechanic who throws down his or her tools and says f you work on your own car you don't talk to me like that and the giving attitude to the chief steward and the you know uh all the things that take place in that first year that first year or two at that entry level on the road to indy this also applies to you know first step or two in sports cars and i'm sure nascar and other things too it's that real world thing that really gives the best best benefit and so I'd love to see some sort of, hey, if you're interested in eSports, then we're going to come up with something that actually has you uh, learning as much as you can in a virtual world in tandem with your real-world brothers and sisters competing. And maybe there's a link there, but I would not at any point in time consider adding an actual formal eSports tier to the road to indie. In parallel with something, right next to it, great. Uh, knocking out a level and inserting it, not a chance. Because the education you need, this is the foundation. This is the foundation point in your young career that will hopefully become your long career. Where sitting in a simulator at home or in a, an arena, it's not going to get you the things you need. So, I don't dislike the idea, just I would modify it if I was the guy making decisions, but I'm not because I'm the guy at 11 08 p.m. on a Thursday night talking into a microphone in my office. Uh, and my voice is getting a little hoarse, so I'm going to drink something. Let's go to Eater Flozada. In the last decade, you started and grew this podcast, and it became a reference for IndyCar and their fans. Also, drivers like Hinch, Rossi, and Daly, and even Formula One followed the trend and made their way to this audio format. What do you think will be the next media trend on IndyCar and in motorsports in this new decade? What new things will you like to see added to the motorsport coverages in the years coming? Wow, I need to read ahead more on these questions. I try not to, so actually they hit me and I try and think of what I can instead of sounding all rehearsed and studied and prepared. Um, That's a great question. I don't know what's going to be the new media trend. I really don't. It feels like, tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels like we almost got too much. I don't mean full traditional media coverage. I just mean... I really struggle to stay on top of who's doing what and saying what and going where and did this and did that and plan this and announce that. I realize that I cover both IndyCar and sports cars, so maybe my brain's a little more fried than others, but it just seems like... (sighs) Maybe this is just a conviction of me. (laughs) Maybe this is just revealing that... I. uh, I'm not as smart or as good as I really need to be. I am taken aback. I'm caught off guard at least once a day, if not more, by things related to a series that I cover, a driver, a team, or whatever, where I'm like, oh, I had no idea that thing happened, or this person said that, or this announcement was went live, or whatever and some of the times i'm sure it's because i'm just not paying attention not doing a good enough job i gotta gotta be honest though other times it feels like i can barely keep up with 22 to 25 30 drivers not just twitter feeds but instagram as well and their teams and their sponsors in the series, in the series, media affiliates and the people who write for those affiliates, the broadcast talent for those affiliates, radio and television, some digital, the PR agents, uh the or I'm sorry, the the wash well, I should say the agents of some of the drivers, the PR reps who have their own accounts plus run the team's accounts. Um So on and Simon Paginot's dog. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe this is a cop out. Maybe I'm just on an island here, and y'all are like, I don't know. We're do pretty good job of standing top all this stuff. Um, I don't know what this next media trend is going to be, because I feel like, in terms of information, there's almost an impossible amount flowing outwards video has become a thing that is now pretty easily produced and generated Uh, used to be a pretty fairly niche thing right i'm just talking IndyCar car here where boy wasn't a lot of video happening and i'm talking nice produced you know end of day type things now it seems like most drivers if the last session of the day is at four o'clock by six o'clock most drivers have an instagram story or a twitter video or something on a facebook page not a lot of facebook stuff anymore but uh it's them on pit lane pulling on their balaclava in super slow motion maybe in black and white it is some sort of jump cut to the the track's name on whether it's the billboard or the sign or the little statue or whatever and it's a cut to a mountain in the wherever that gives you an idea of the general location you're at and then it's a cut back and it's the eight X slow motion sliding down into the cockpit and then it poof, jump cut to rawr, wheels spinning, tire smoke, burnout. Uh and it's like it's like there's a template of okay, here's the slow motion video of the driver putting on their crap and getting into the car. And here it is burning out and pulling away. And okay. Um so i don't know maybe more here's an idea maybe more driver directed social media content i don't just mean holding up phone talking into phone that's a weird thing right it's a phone talking into it but video is being produced um you know that's pretty normal right hold up your phone you tie hey it was a good day thanks for following be sure to buy some of the stuff that's on the side of the car and uh rock it out bitches i don't know whatever um i mean actual like maybe some drivers will say you know what uh maybe technology will continue to evolve and apps and tools will evolve where it'll become even easier for drivers to say you know what uh i'm gonna make my own video and again something that has a production quality to it um we already get the tours right hey let's go inside the transporter and talk to good old bill who's our this guy and hey let's show you over here and hey i mean so you know every season more layers are pulled back there's almost nothing left to show you or tell you that has not been and i realize i do this too so it's not a negative or it's not a complaint but you know with everybody seemingly now a reporter an insider a presenter there's not a lot left to show you that we haven't seen uh, that hasn't been explained, that hasn't been broken down, that hasn't been analyzed, that hasn't been revealed. So I don't know. Do you think maybe, Eater or that maybe there could be a bounce back? And maybe folks will say, all right, we're oversaturating. Maybe actually we need to step back. I don't know. Maybe that'll be the trend. Less. but We're, we're on the freaking red line and have been. Uh, is the appetite even stronger and more, I don't know, maybe then more people get hired to do videos. Maybe you're going to have two different people filming drivers, putting on their gear and getting into the car. One will be crazy slow motion person, and one will be crazy fast forward guy. So depending upon your like, you can watch super slow motion action video two three minutes of all the crap we normally get then you get the other one that goes by in two seconds uh so i don't know i'm not sure if we need more staff to crank out more or maybe exhaustion will be the thing or fuck okay you know what tell us less it'd be okay um as for things i'd like to see added that's boy that's really hard as well um you know here's something i'd love to see added and i don't know how i explain this properly so video has become the thing again kind of oversaturated you're going to get it over and over again you know what everybody thinks at all times everyone's going to talk into their phone everyone's going to be filmed saying so So you're going to get all those packages from everybody got it there's a layer of artistry that continues to rise every year that does not actually get seen as much as it should And that is the photographers. And I realize I'm a photographer as well. So not saying this to try and, I don't know, I don't really shoot that much anymore. To be honest, I've gone from being a photographer to a guy who owns a frightening amount of camera gear that doesn't get used. Uh, Nonetheless, we have seen prettier and prettier photos being posted on a regular basis by drivers who hire photographers. Uh, Or, you know, some have multiple clients, so you might see stylistic similarities from one driver's posts after a session or the day to others. But I'll tell you, if I'm NBC and I'm trying to think of ways to bring new things, there's some beautiful, beautiful work being captured on a daily basis that if we're talking about going to commercial, coming back from commercial, if we're talking about, hey, we're standing around on pit lane and I'm Townsend Bell and I'm talking to Jack Harvey or I'm talking to Ed Carpenter about this, that, and the other, maybe halfway through that two- or three-minute conversation where some of us kind of nod off a little bit, maybe you have really nice packages of photos to throw up. so. Oh, Ed, we're looking at some gorgeous shots of you going into the turn here from yesterday. Can you? What do you? Let's zoom in. What do you see there? What is the car doing? The light. See how that's hitting? Wow, oh, it's a, it's a beautiful image. Do you see that light? Does that light hit you? And do you register it when you're going two hundred and something miles an hour? I don't know. Uh, that's maybe an area where beautiful additive creative content that you get to see some of on the good old insta and whatever else on social media but you don't it's really not brought into households i think that might be something so thanks for the questions i think i failed in answering most of them but it's kind of the norm i'm gonna to go to a practiced observer with single-seaters moving towards semi-closed or even fully closed cockpits could driver refrigeration become an area of road relevant development even if all cars become autonomous they would still have people in them who need to stay cool that's a really great question uh i think this could be could be an area where depending on what indycar does with their next chassis how enclosed the cockpit becomes i think this genuinely could be a tech transfer item I know from an ancillary standpoint, all the systems built in and around the tub that support the engine and or are fed by the engine uh, or, you know, whether it's a hydraulic or this or that, so, uh, you know, a lot of subsystems in and around the tub uh, that to just make the rest of the car work. This might be an area, you know, I, I don't know what it would be, but I, I do know that this might be something where. Uh, depending on how closed as you mentioned there could be a need to do more than just have a ram air effect coming in at the base of the aero screen or a little duct, or periscope scoop or something this might be uh definitely might be something to consider it seems really smart to me uh I'll throw this in as well and just talking road so obviously the driver's helmet has vents and ducts for air to flow in to keep the head cool. We know that if we're talking the what the three main areas in the body that does heat exchanging, it's the feet, the hands and the head. So as you get hot, those are the three areas that act as a radiator to get it out. With that helmet on and the padding and everything else, you're blocking that from happening. So that's why we have the vents in the helmets that are meant to be fed air at a high rate of speed to help flow it through and cool the driver's head, therefore keep their brain happy and body happy. This could definitely be something where you go, okay, uh, should we look at seats, right? You look at some road cars, you know, have uh, whether it's heating that can be brought in, heating elements, or even cooling. So, yeah, on top of the overall environment in the cockpit, a practiced observer i'd say we might also think about maybe the seat could be something that could be used look if you can buy a dodge and the cup holder has an option for you to either turn up the heat or turn it cold based on the drink i figure if you can get that in a dodge you should be able to get that in a Dolara with your seat so there you go uh Secchi 100 hey there don't you think marco andretti the co-owner of the Andretti Autosport Entry is letting his team down by hiring a subpar driver. <laughs> Jesus. There are better drivers than Marco Andretti on the market. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't argue that. There's not a lot of drivers that are better than Marco on the market uh, just because there aren't a lot of IndyCar drivers on the market. Um, yeah, you know this is just one of those uncomfortable things right y'all have probably heard me say many times i really like marco as a person really yeah he and i i enjoy my relationship with marco i don't get called to hang out with ice T and kevin hart and everyone else and ludicrous so you know let's be clear uh we're not like that but anyways i dig the guy I have seen him do things in motor racing vehicles that most of you probably haven't. This being more on the sports car side that were just jaw dropping like, oh my gosh, this guy is going to just destroy the world. He's so good. I don't know where that guy went. I don't know where he went. I don't know if he's gone. I don't know if he's on permanent vacation. I don't know if he's waiting to come back. Let me do this i rarely do this during an episode and if you're now saying what is that thing that you really do marshall pruitt think offer quality Eh, fairly accurate uh i would say on both assessments all right let me close the tab where i was reading that cardi b's pledge to seek nigerian citizenship sparks rivalry uh yes that uh yeah no comment necessary uh, on my reading habits. Let me look here. Let me actually take the time. Like I said, this is my unpolished turd. I'm not going to edit this out and clean it up and sound really cool and and polished. Uh, let me pull up Marco. Was it 2013 where he had his year of years where he mentioned going to the UK and working with Rob Wilson? 2013. So in the offseason of 2012, the end of the year, he finished 16th. <laughs> And that was dreadful. So he said, okay. Uh, his teammate, Ryan Hunter Ray, won the championship. So we know that back then in Dreddy Autosport, Chevy powered. Uh, Chevy was the engine to have at the dawn of this new engine formula starting in 2012. Uh, we had Ryan Hunter Ray win the freaking championship. He didn't win the Indy 500 either. It's not like he got a crazy points boost. He did well, but you know. Anyways, won the title. Marco finished 16th Had one podium, Iowa second place. Good on him. Lots of not good stuff. Wasn't pleased with himself said, you know what? I can do better. Went to the UK during the off season, spent some time with renowned driver coach guy who used to race in Indy lights, Barber Saab, guy by the name of Rob Wilson. Didn't get to Indy car. Wasn't super well known as a, a, you know, top tier racer, but there's no doubt that he had super skills went, learned, worked trained with Rob came back. Holy crap. Podium at St. Pete podium at Brazil fourth at Indy, uh, what top five top sixes at Texas Detroit, uh, Toronto Sonoma didn't win, but was pretty darn consistent. I'm looking here and What, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 races inside the top 10. And the majority of those were more like top seven. So Guy just really, while still very young, said, I can do better. I can learn more. Let me go do that. Did it. And then we kind of didn't see a whole lot of that afterwards. Fell back to ninth the year after, ninth after that. 16th the following year, uh, what, 12th, 9th, last year he was 16th. I don't know, man. Uh, I've seen the guy be phenomenal. This guy has the, the potential to be at least a one-time champion in IndyCar. He's demonstrated that potential he's only demonstrated it once though and that's the frustrating part because 2013 wasn't a fluke it wasn't all gifts the guy did the work the guy was really competitive the guy really found something different but it wasn't lasting and so now what his first year in IndyCar car was 2006 wow uh I like Marco. I root for Marco. I hope that things go well for him. As we continue to say too many times in recent years without significant changes or improvements, or I'm going to do this thing different like he did when he went and, uh, trained with Rob Edwards, Rob, Rob Edwards, good Lord, Rob Wilson. Um, um, why would you expect things to be any different? Because you hope? Because you want? Look, man, I hope I wake up tomorrow at 150 pounds. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we're just talking hope, yeah, hey, sure. If that's going to be the sum total uh, of my effort, well, then, you know, I guess I can't really be too upset if it doesn't happen. Has Marco done anything phenomenally different? during the off season um, to get where he would be better and get better results, better, everything better, 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 better. Um, if not, I, I can't argue with your, your line of question here, Joe Sacchi. So I want Marco to have a great year. I'm probably one of however many who do. I just, if you made a significant change, you maybe have a reason to expect a significant change in the results. If you haven't, you shouldn't. Uh, Jenico won. If the split didn't destroy American Open Wheel Racing, Driven would have. My favorite movie. Not my favorite movie, but yeah, it's the best ever. I finally had a chance to watch it, and wow, it was worse than my wildest expectations. I told you. I'd still recommend it, though, out of sheer amazement, someone would greenlight that movie for production it's there is no racing movie that truly falls into the category of a hate watch there's some bad racing movies there's some dumb racing movies there are some childish racing movies stroker ace and this yeah I mean, again there's there've been a lot of bad racing movies made This isn't a bad racing movie. This is... This is... The worst. Not the worst just from a ranking standpoint. This is the worst from the standpoint of the people making it, you can tell. Thought. They had the most kick-ass, killer, um, oh Just, do we even need to show up at the Oscars, right? They're going to come get us and bring us there. They're going to carry us on their shoulders, exalted ones. It, it, it Actually, I'm staring now, I still have my DVD copy of Driven, sitting on top of the right speaker on my desk. I always want to keep it close. Just as a reminder, you could do better, Pruitt. Don't ever let yourself fall to driven standards. It's the worst, right? It is truly the worst. And again, I don't, I'm not saying that because of what you see on the screen only. I'm saying because there's so much ego and attitude throughout it. There's so much cool. Oh yeah, boy, we got this nailed and the dialogue and the love angle and the made up crap and the CGI and the just the whole thing reeks of people who thought they had it nailed. And that's always the worst, right? It it's the guy with one tenth left in the game. Standing on the free throw line, down one point. All you got to do is hit your free throw, tie up the game, go to overtime. And you look at the guy, and he's like, yeah, I got it. Oh, psh, easy. Ha, I close my eyes. We're dead. We're done. <laughs> Ain't happening. I mean, that is... The, the the swagger just on on display the whole time in how this movie was made. You go, no, 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 no. Be humble. Be humble. Right? Stand on the stripe getting ready to take that free throw. Don't have your chest pounding out of your body at you all. Know, oh, I'm the best and I'm the baddest. And have your head spun up in this egotistical place. Just... Do the work. Just be pure. Have an actual flow to what you do. Lift the ball. Follow through. Swish. Great. This it was so caught up in being cool and awesome and yeah, and man and car and rah. it just it's the funny thing is like Rambo movies are better than this. And this was Rambo Goes Racing. So how was this not just really easy to make work? They missed everything. It was so bad. So bad. Rambo Has a Heart. Oh my god. Crazy. Um It's just the most hate-watchable racing movie ever. <laughs> You <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, when I was there, what was I doing in 2000? I was working with an IRL team that I hated was also working with on the side, freelancing with, I think an Atlantic team or two. Um, so I was in both cart and IRL paddocks. And so at a couple of the, however many of the car races that I was at as well in 2000 was there while some of the filming was taking place for driven. And it just, it just didn't even look right then. And I'm not, look, I'm not any kind of film expert guy. I'm just saying like watching some of this stuff and I'm like, no, no, no. So I'm glad Jenica won that you are able to, you know, really. Uh swallow this poison cinematic pill and join the rest of us. Let's go to Nathan Wolfel. This is a great one. Hey Marshall, as someone who works in marketing, I've always wondered how do teams and drivers show return on investment to their sponsors? I imagine this can vary from agreement to agreement. Do you have any examples where you can share? Or on the subject do sponsors approach teams and drivers searching for uh, agreements or is it the other way around? How does this whole song and dance work? Also says, thanks for all the hard work you put into the episode. They're the highlights of my week. Oh, that's sweet of you. Thank you so much, Nathan. Well, this is the old how long is a piece of string answer. Uh, there's no such thing as a piece of string uh, in terms of length. It's all different. Um, interesting question on the how do they show ROI. Um I don't know if show prove might be the the way I'd look at it. And even that has some angles to it. So, I'll try to keep this a little bit compact, Nathan. So, in most cases, the sponsors, those who are really looking to measure uh market impact and reach and gather demographic info and all that kind of stuff they have their own team usually an agency of some sort ad agency and they have their staff who do all these things who measure how many you know who gather information um on how many people watched the race how many people attended the race how much time did we have on tv you know measure everything um there are services there are services you can hire that do that for you as well during the so-and-so race your car with your sponsor was shown on television in a legible fashion although that's the wrong word uh for four minutes and 32 seconds and based on the cost of a 30 second ad buy or a one minute ad buy during that broadcast uh, at the time it was aired on uh, the specific network we quantify that four minutes and 32 seconds to have been of X value if we were to have tried and purchased commercials for uh, that length of time. And based on what we were spending on sponsorship with a car, with a team, you can start to get an idea on the ROI. If we're just using the TV number, you figure out, oh, hey, uh, again, I'm just making up numbers. We got $500,000 worth of TV advertising time at this last race based on how much time our car was on screen and maybe it cost us 300 dollars for that race to pay the team all right in theory we got more than we paid for that's a good thing that's definite return on investment um if you're a team that got 47 seconds of tv time and someone spent three hundred thousand dollars for that well they're probably not too happy on the roi side you have the other dynamic, Nathan, which is becoming more and more the norm. Sorry that I'm congested, guys. I think I'm just tired and really voices. Maybe craving that beer. I've trained it. Um, we have a lot of sponsors that you see on the sides of cars, Nathan. In IndyCar, specifically. Where they aren't there to necessarily have tv time they aren't there necessarily for people in the grandstands to see their name on the side of the car it's a business deal it is a business to business deal the connections made through the team by the team that's where the roi takes place the we are a shipping company and You brokered a deal for us with a major auto manufacturer involved in the series and a major retailer. I mean, these are again, we signed $70 million in new business deals as a result of B2B that you've created in our affiliation with you. And Your commission slash cut is, whatever that number is, is a good one. And that is the reason that we're involved. And we also have our name on the side of your car. That's great. The name on the side of the car, that's gravy, Nathan. That's total gravy. Great. Fantastic. It's free. Basically, uh, that's not why they're there. They'll use it. They're not going to say no but that they're not actually paying to put their name on the side of the car to market and promote themselves. It is a bit of a uh, a page 12 sub chapter four, paragraph nine. Oh, and by the way, we're going to do the B2B and this is great. We're going to, our name is going to be on the side of the car too. All right, cool. Uh, That doesn't really matter. The, of course, if TV ratings are bad, I'm sure that would have them saying, all right, well, maybe this isn't as cheery as we had hoped, but they're not going to be swayed by how many people are or are not in the grandstands or how many people tuned in because that's not where the value for what they do is coming from. Um. So, yeah, on the disp- sponsors approach teams and drivers or vice versa, it's pr- almost... Always teams and drivers going out searching. Very rarely do you get a sponsor, a company. I shouldn't sponsor. It's a company. Fairly rare when you get a significant company or even a lesser known company with significant interest in wanting to spend money in IndyCar. Um, It wasn't always the case. Used to be a case where. Lots of people are showing up at the paddock trying to find people to do business with because they wanted to get in, wanted to get their name on cars, wanted to be involved. Big buzz. Has been that way for quite a while. Uh, and I wouldn't say that's an IndyCar thing. It's just, you know, racing is no longer the shiny new thing to most Americans, most businesses. Um, there was a fun thing, and this is a little bit well-known on you know the inside of the sport, believe david letterman when he was aligning himself with bobby ray did this so every now and then you would see in the back of racing magazines yes the they still exist uh but there used to be a lot of them you'd see in the back of of racing magazines every now and then well what The first thing you'd see is you see a lot of ads placed by people saying, hi, we're a team, we really need money, or we're looking for sponsors. Uh, Give us a call if you're one of them, or can help us get one of them. The rare ones, though, were the, we are a significant sponsor. We are interested in sponsoring a team in, in this case, it was IndyCar, the IndyCar series. We are interested in receiving your proposal to help us decide which team we should spend our money with. No name of the business, no name of the sector, just presented as, look, we want to be here. We're trying to do our due diligence. We don't know all of you or maybe any of you, but we're trying to educate ourselves who can offer what and what's going to be the best deal for us. But we're serious we want to spend our money and be a primary sponsor in indycar please send your submissions to provide the address I believe it turned out it was letterman and <laughs> ray hall um just trying to find out what their their rivals were uh, setting the target at for annual budgets and what they are offering and um I, again i could be wrong maybe it's a wife's wife's tale husband's tale I know that part is true. I know that this is true. It did happen. And I'm sure it's happened more than once. But I do know that this did happen. I remember it when it did happen. Uh, but the whether it was truly the Ray Hall uh, Letterman connection again, that might be wrong. But uh, I just love that idea where there were apparently enough teams, plenty of teams that were you know so interested and desperate that. Uh, they send all their marketing info and dollars and this is what it's going to cost you for the year and you're going to get this and that and you're going to get this location and this size and you get so many tickets and complimentary this is and that's and you know basically got everybody's it's the equivalent of getting everyone's chassis setup information you go like ooh, people protect that stuff pretty heavily but uh y'all got duped so um that one comes to mind, Nathan. It's a bit of a fun one. Uh, thanks for sending it in, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure if you've sent in questions before, but if not, keep it up. Christian Denevsky, who sent me a LinkedIn request, which I accepted. Uh, Christian, for the listener Q&A, if it's not already recorded, how much of a role do you think Aldo Costa will have in the development of the new IndyCar, and do you see his input being impactful in hopes to avoid a similar introduction to that of the DW12? aldo costa for those of you who do not know super veteran of motor racing designer engineer you name it most recently was with the mercedes f1 team and kind of a i forget his exact title but kind of design performance quality oversight management guy uh he's moved to Delara. i don't know christian if aldo would be involved to start uh would say that andrea tosa has been there forever and would probably play a pretty big role uh knowing that he has in all the previous cars don't want to get don't want to repeat too much here because i answered something a little bit similar to this not too long ago in the show it wasn't aldo costa related but it was on the uh pitfalls of the dw12 which was hot garbage uh, when it was designed, released, and in its first couple of years of competition. That I blame, Christian, on IndyCar. That really, truly was IndyCar's fault. Uh, they did not have the right people, uh, strong enough voices, enough sanity, enough just conceptual integrity uh, of what they they knew what they wanted it to be. They wanted it to be everything all at once. The uh, The old camel you know, uh, designed by committee output here. It just bad, (laughs) just bad. Um, it's been made good after a freaking crazy amount of money and time and chained and iteration after iteration. Um, I don't think we're going to have this problem this time around Christian, uh, the people at IndyCar on their engineering side, aero side technical engine just systems safety boy they're really good and really smart and i'm not just saying that for the i mean truly they are very good at what they do uh j fry has assembled a pretty sharp team there and that's the layer on top of delara delara has a lot of really talented people really talented people and so Dallara made the car they were asked to make and they also wanted to please and said yes to a lot. Oh yeah, we can do that. Sure. We can do that. you know, wasn't enough pushback. I would say in some areas like, look, I know you love the idea of us being able to do that. It's just not going to happen. Come on. Um, better management, better ideas, greater experience, more depth of experience on the IndyCar car side. I am confident is going to ensure the replacement for the DW 12 ain't the donkey that we got and is going to be good and fast and sleek and futuristic and really high performance. Hopefully that doesn't get derailed by a hybrid system that is too heavy and throws off the, cars weight distribution and balance and again well uh that's the only thing that worries me a little bit is if they continue to stick to their guns with hybridization is this car going to end up being so heavy that even the the 850 900 horsepower they want to start off with is not going to be enough to make it really you know outperform the current dw12 so Uh, That's more just a general decision than lack of skill and talent management and engineering oversight, Christian. So I don't know if Aldo's going to play a role, much of a role. I don't believe he has any experience on the Oval side uh, as well. So, you know, could he help in some very broad ways? Sure, but I'm feeling pretty good, man, about the talent that Delara already has. And IndyCar's layer of oversight as well to say, this is what we're looking for, and we can actually help you get there too, because we have the experience and talent from a design standpoint and engineering standpoint to not just ask and hope we get it, but really, truly dig in with you to get it. So I like that. Uh, Philip Schmitz, Marshall, on the last podcast, you mentioned about previous paint schemes being done with Toronto Motorsports. So, what about? Tony Canon 7-Eleven livery from the 2000s. This is in reference to our new updated 2020 weekend in IndyCar logo. Um, wasn't done with Toronto Motorsports. It was done by Roger Warwick. Roger's my artiste. Also Toronto Motorsports as well. Um, yeah, that's not a bad idea. I I don't know. I'll think about it. How's that? Ah, Simon Rafi. This MP, I know the Chevy engine is actually built by Elmore. Do Honda build their own engine? Or is it also made by a third party? Oh, uh, so here's a question. Wouldn't it be a second party? And I'm not raising this on you, Simon. Just, it's not it just occurred to me now in life that I too use the, oh, it's a third party thing. Well, if it's one party asking another party to do it, is not the second party, not the third party. Is that one of those weird things? Those weird phrases like near miss. Oh, it was a near miss. Those two. two, oh, there's a, almost a midair collision. Thankfully it was, yeah, it was a near miss. As George Carlin said, wouldn't that be a near hit? <laughs> isn't a near miss. Isn't that you came close to missing, but you were near to missing, but didn't. Doesn't that mean you actually crashed? Uh, don't you mean a near hit? Okay. So, anyways. Sorry. I'm not drunk. You know that. It's just... It's getting close to midnight. So, is that second party? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Honda does build their own engines. In... Let's see. They are based... What? Two, three, four, five miles from the Herta household? In... Kind of, sort of, almost Valencia, California. Uh, Honda Performance Development created uh, what? Nineteen ninety-three was their first year. It is the competition arm of Honda North America, uh, not the arm of Honda Japan. So, yes, they make them here. As someone else asked, might have been you as well, Simon. I don't know. Uh, isn't why do you refer to? the Honda engines is the Japanese and the Chevys is American when the Chevys are built by Brits and the Hondas are built by Americans. Totally accurate. I'm just using the flag of the brands that most people would associate uh, with their nationality. But yes, uh, point being is in both England with Elmore, and they also have um a base in michigan as well that is where we along with the uh, chevy racing side as well um that's where the boat has motors get made and yeah hondas are made designed made uh serviced shipped and loved on in southern california let's go to william Matson. hey marshall hey william Can you provide us with any insight as to what happened to Zach Veach last year? Uh, He says in his first season, he put on a solid rookie performance, but he seemed to fall off a cliff in 2019. I got into this a fair amount in the last episode, Q&A episode, William. So maybe if you haven't had a chance, listen back to that. Mention that he and his race engineer, Garrett Mother said, really had a falling out. Um... Not so much a, I hate you, you hate me, but just they stopped being an effective working duo. And so the team made a change a little bit, what, past the halfway point of last year and swapped Garrett over to Marco's car, I believe, and took young Mark Bryant, very talented rookie IndyCar engineer, and moved him over to Zach's car. In, i believe um, and it certainly seemed to benefit both actually uh, zach in particular his results didn't like go kapow and here he is now in the top five but just i seem to recall him being more competitive faster higher up in sessions uh, than he had been and it just seemed to be a positive thing i would also say zach made the majority of the mistakes he did not make in his rookie year boy he got him out of a, his system as a sophomore it wasn't a great year for him uh, and this happens right the the proverbial sophomore slump he had it he made mistakes hit things uh, did we escape fire did we, we 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 got past fire i believe but this wasn't a great year for him and I'm looking forward to catching up with Zach to find out what he has done during the off season to look on the inside. Cause yeah, it's a guy strapped inside a car, but the car doesn't turn its own wheels. Doesn't hit its own brake. Doesn't accelerate. Doesn't choose how and when to pass. These are all decisions happening between the years. And so he had a lot of things not a lot, but it felt like a lot of things, a lot of decisions, a lot of little haywire, a lot of, oh, why'd you do that? Oh, mm-hmm. Struggled. Interpersonal side as well wasn't great uh, with his engineer until that change happened. So curious to find out, William, what he has done on maybe the same topic we just covered with Marco Andretti. What have you done to change your fortunes and improve yourself from one year to the next? Hopefully, we're going to find out a number of things. Ryan Terpstra says, you've brought it up, so I blame you for this question. You're forced to remove two races from the 2021 schedule in the interest of cutting costs. What are you dropping? Hashtag me personally. I think Laguna Seca, and as much as I hate to say it, Circuit of the Americas. Well, I don't hate either one of those, Ryan Coda for sure (laughs) i mean we're there Uh, uh we did have a decent crowd i was very pleased with the amount of people that turned up because it was better than i thought it was going to be it still wasn't great by any stretch but you know it wasn't terrible i thought it was going to be terrible uh again it wasn't great but it wasn't terrible Coda can go period uh some good racing definitely i thought there was some really good racing but it's on in the middle of nowhere where indycar isn't going to just catch fire as a series in southern-ish texas all of a sudden um you know it's a thing it's a place to go it's a thing to do it's not going to get us anywhere other than i would say uh, whatever appearance fee is being paid uh for us to be there laguna it's one of my two home tracks i'll tell you I, I was very pleased as well of the turnout um i would say i r- 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 really want that to succeed of course i just don't know how it does great turnout for a crowd said it then we'll keep saying it was great turnout all kind of from that proviso of laguna kind of doesn't get quality crowds anymore unless it is whatever major motorcycle series is coming into town moto gp when they were here and all the variety of other super bikes that's the big weekend of the year bike fans love laguna show up that in the past has been the one big performer it's mid-ish august vintage race the rolex reunion that gets phenomenal crowd on one of the four days saturday nobody's there thursday Eh, okay decent on friday ghost town on sunday so one of the four days of a second event gets people IMSA nobody shows up nobody cares uh other events there no I mean nobody so the amount of people that showed up for IndyCar I loved it I thought it was amazing it's really expensive though like the prices were kind of stupid but whatever um I want to see and I know you mentioned the 2021 calendar ride Got to see what Laguna looks like in year two. I hope they can adjust prices maybe to make it a little more friendly. I don't think the new management, uh, which is being directed by the county and kind of a behind the scenes, pulling all the strings. I don't, I think they're going to try and look for all the ways possible to make more money instead of try and grow that event. I think I fear they're going to try and squeeze more money out of people and therefore possibly have folks that paid whatever the number was for a ticket uh this past year get the chance to re-up and look at it and go uh that's my fear um if there is an increase in crowd size at laguna this time around ryan for a year or two that has most people going like whoa i can see and feel the improvement in crowd size we got to keep it if we don't i'm okay with it going away um IndyCar just does not need to be at places where it looks like they forgot to open the doors and let people in. That's what CODA kind of felt like. wasn't that way at Laguna, but it it wasn't so good that it wasn't clear they need to double the audience size. So your two are actually my two. I mean, I'm just trying to think of others that, you know, Iowa puts on great racing. Crowds have been great. We hope the return to a night race is going to be a thing. All right. Awesome. Pocono's gone away. Okay. Got it. Um, you know, the other one, and I hate to say it, Portland possibly, right? Uh, there was a downturn in attendance on its second year back. Everybody saw it. Everybody felt it. Still a good crowd, but if we go back and year three is even smaller, you know, you need to ask some hard questions. I love the place. Been there. I don't know. I can't even keep track how many times I've been there, but IndyCar does not need to go to places where it looks like it is losing traction. So those are my, my three thoughts. Two of those are yours as well. Ryan also said on the topic of reaching younger fans and bringing in a new generation, I believe you mentioned the retro rebel is not credentialed. How about IndyCar acknowledge the quality of content and make her ability to produce more of it, uh, and help her to make more of it. And at a higher level, even easier. Well, I don't know how old Olivia is, but I'm guessing she's 12, 11, 13, 14. I don't know very young so yeah i don't believe she would be credentialed no matter how good she is because i forget what the minimum age is but she certainly isn't over the minimum age to receive a credential maybe this goes back to the question asked a little while ago from i apologize i'm forgetting your screen name eater flozada maybe quality fan generated content maybe that's the new thing that comes online would say that this could be a good area for sure ryan for olivia and whichever number of fan media generators that would be identified where you go hey you actually do something unique and interesting and you have enthusiasm and talent and passion how can we help you let's add a new shoulder lane of content we have the professionals you are these are the you know you are a writer. You are a reporter. You are a whatever. This is who you are. What you do. It's your profession. You are a professional. Now, that's the standard should always be. I don't ever want to see that change. But maybe as technology and the ability for good folks like young Olivia, the retro rebel, uh, who's out making videos of testing at Sebring and all kinds of fun stuff. Maybe for those who stand out as, you know, having talent, having a future, bringing a unique aspect or angle, uh, maybe IndyCar needs to embrace them. And even if they're too young to be credentialed, as Ryan mentions here, which is a great thing, um, how can we help her? How can we help him, whomever, Uh, and say, you know what? you are a part of our family and community. So if you're trying to make good stuff, how can we help you to do that and embrace it, help promote it. Funnily enough, IndyCar does Jack shit to help promote those of us who do this for a living. (laughs) Uh, I write a story. Miller writes a story. David Mousher writes a story. Whomever writes a story. Um, it's as if we don't exist but if they look i'll take them embracing and helping anybody at this point and just saying cool (laughs) we're gonna do our best to make your content reach more people that'd be awesome so you know i don't really need the help I'll, i'll be honest you know miller doesn't need the help Malcher doesn't need the help that's not the point it's not a case of needing help it's just a you go wow we wake up every day working to help fans of this series know more about it and have more good stuff and you treat us like we've got diseases and need to be avoided that's in, that's interesting um it's more maybe just a mindset thing that's a little troubling Uh, But I like the idea here, Ryan. Uh, How can we embrace those who aren't professional yet? Maybe want to be professional at some point in the future. Uh, Maybe, just maybe, they can do something to groom uh, my future either replacement or replacements or future bosses. Who knows? Um, I think that's a great idea, man. And I just got a text from Mrs. Pruitt. It is 12:08 p.m. so we're now officially into Friday and it is time for me to say no more words out of my face. So I'm going to stop and do my best tomorrow to get through some more questions. I failed to mention up front that combined uh boy more than 2000 words worth of questions. So uh I'll see how many additional ones I'm going to get through before I have to let this episode fly and let me say good night for the evening and I will speak to you maybe in the morning and I'm not sure when this is going to go up, but I'm hoping it'll be Friday at some point. Well, so much for that idea. Uh, picking this up at 614 PM on a Friday evening. Don't have that many questions left to go. But there are some great questions here coming up. So definitely want to get to those and then say farewell to this episode. <sighs> Sorry for the, I don't know, 20 something hour delay. Uh, yeah, so much for getting this posted uh, Friday morning there, idiot. All right, let's go to our man, Jeremiah Morell. says, this is me formally requesting an interview with Stanton Barrett, stuntman, 8500 driver and CEO of a chocolate company. This is a story that needs to be told. I agree with you, Jeremiah. If you read the story this week about Marcus Erickson's title sponsor for the year, Husky Chocolates, a Swedish brand, their Husky Chocolates America's CEO is indeed Stanton Barrett. How? I have no idea. So just as Jeremiah raised, need to find out. So I don't know if I'm going to see young Mr. Barrett before the 500, but i definitely need to find some time with him to do a my racing life and career cuz the guy's fascinating and like you jeremiah and probably others i got to know <laughs> how do you go from being a stunt man to racing an indy car to being the american arm ceo of a swedish chocolate company i don't know that's racing though right you don't get these bizarre ass things like this in football or basketball It's only us. Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, Let's see. Let's go to Michael McHugh. says, Hey, Marshall, with the unfortunate passing of Rush drummer Neil Pert, I was reminded that Rush had a small sponsorship on the James Hinchcliffe-Ryan Briscoe SPM car. Any interesting story here with at least Neil having an interest in motorsports or just convenient marketing with Hinch being Canadian? Also, who is the Alex... That would be Alex Lifeson, Getty Lee, and Neil Pert of the Paddock. Great question, Mike. Uh, Let's see. I didn't know. I I actually, and I'm really bummed at myself. So this was the 2015 Indy 500. Uh, We had the Rolling Stones come in, or I don't know who all, but let's just say the Rolling Stone band was on our man Justin Wilson's car for the Indy 500. I somehow, Michael, completely missed that my favorite band was involved in sponsoring the number five SPM Honda. Uh, Wouldn't that have been a great story that I should have written about both Rush and the Rolling Stones being represented with their names on cars in the same Indy 500? Boy, I felt stupid. So I reached out to Hinch and asked and He replied and said, I don't really know. Um, It it sounds a little familiar, but I'm not sure. And so he said, you might reach out to the awesome Jeff Darks, who's, I'll admit, I don't remember Jeff's exact title at SPM, but he's been there forever, and he's kind of the man that does everything and is really good at it. Uh, He said, reach out to Jeff. So I did, and Jeff got me up to speed and said, well, there's kind of a reason why Hinch wouldn't have picked up on it so much that's because they came in as a sponsor during race week and if you remember Hinch was in the hospital in a pretty bad way so I felt like a dick Michael in asking Hinch about this and sent him a text and said man I'm really sorry dude Uh, that was I didn't know but I was that's really uncool Um, so Hinch was kind of on drugs and out of it and wasn't fully aware turns out that jeff uh didn't have a great memory of this and i was able to go back and find some photos that i shot of the car during the race and i'm like how did i miss this well it was black lettering on a gold reflective engine cover so maybe it didn't pop i don't know for me he said it was not actually rush coming through this would have been the celebration of their r40 uh, video and album Celebrating 40 years as a band. Uh, this is, or was it a little more than 40 years? I forget. I apologize, man. Uh, he said apparently this came in through Amazon. Amazon was trying to get this out, get this aware, get this sold. And so the Rush angle wasn't through Hinch being Canadian and the band being Canadian, or it wasn't actually Rush, according to Jeff. It was Amazon that reached out, and that's where that came from. So yeah i apologize man i really should have been on top of this and done a story about it because yeah while i'm not a much of a rolling stones fan i feel really stupid to have been there and for my favorite band to be on a car and i didn't even know it come on man uh so yeah there's that let's go to a really great question here from keith lee says mp this might be personal so feel free to pass on it but what's your relationship like with paul tracy So I know you've been critical of him in the past in your podcast, and I've seen him post a remark about you on his Instagram page, but I was pleasantly surprised to see him on your episode celebrating Greg Moore's life and PT making a sizable donation via the GoFundMe page. He says, keep up the great work, especially during the cold months and keeping us all engaged in racing. Well, thank you, Keith. It's an interesting one, and I'm glad you've asked. I wrestled with this a little bit need to give you a little bit of a backstory i also didn't see what he said about me on instagram but you know i assume uh lots of people say lots of things it's kind of the way the world works on social medias um he and i had a really good relationship for quite a while and the pt that many people love is the pt that i knew right the guy just whatever he thought honest to a fault cursing up a storm mf this and f that you know when the phone would light up with his name like i knew it was going to be a fun 20 minutes half hour 45 minutes whatever or if i rang him and just him being the guy that we know and i don't know if it was just a change in culture here in the u.s in recent years where it seems like you know being harsh and mean and just being uglier versions of ourselves. I'm I'm obviously using mass generalizations here, but I don't know if that's just something that he, that brought out a darker side of him that we hadn't seen before on public display, or if it's just been a art installation where he's pretending to be, Super harsh um, guy, racist guy. Go back to your country. You live in a shithole. That kind of guy. I've been hacked. Um, gonna deport you and this, that, and the other guy. I don't know what chain, what sparked such a change within him. But the oh man, look who's calling! This is gonna. I can't wait. This is gonna be the highlight of my day. For many years, that changed a couple of years ago, right? Uh, and all of a sudden it was the, ha, huh, boy, yeah, uh, huh. And so this is the super obvious statement alert. I'm not a big fan of racism or sexism or a lot of isms, but you know, racism, sexism, those are two pretty big ones, uh, in terms of violations for me. And so we started getting that and too much of that. And then lies, right? Oh, it wasn't me. I was hacked. No, you weren't hacked. Um, and so I just said, you know, I've had enough. Uh, I've had enough. And where things got a little, very testy is this happened in and around, what, uh, November-ish, late october earliest November, 2018, um, this, I got hacked. And so, you know, the, whatever the story that went up on the Indy star and all that. And so I wrote about it and, you know, as I normally do look, uh, you write about the happy things, you write about the negative things. There's, you know, uh, if you're hired to do a job, you do the job job is whatever it is, uh, that was it. And so anyways, just got blasted by him by text you know what's up with this and so on and why aren't you support and i'm paraphrasing because the thoughts weren't necessarily as, as clearly constructed but you know I'd, I'd expect support from you and what's up with that and so on and i'd expect you to give me the benefit of the doubt kind of communication and i don't want for this to sound like an excuse it's just honest uh we were going through our very first surgery at that time a cancer related surgery it's a big one scary one uh i think i let folks know as best i could through social media you might not see or hear a bunch from me for a little bit because holy crap you know the uh, got my eyes focused on the thing that i got to be focused on and while i certainly would not expect paul to keep tabs on my social media movements i at least felt as if i had done enough to make it very easy to know and learn that much more pressing things were going on that i was focusing on and all of a sudden i'm just getting lit up and lit up and lit up and lit up while we're in the midst of this again i apologize i don't remember the exact time but it was like the day of, the day after surgery, whatever. But, you know, just a barrage of text after text after text. And I'm like, dude, seriously, <laughs> I don't need your shit right now. Uh, I don't believe you. I don't need your shit. This is just really, you know, we're going way over the line here. And frankly, I just uh, blocked them on my phone because I just, you know, I didn't need to have my head spun out into some other nonsense that's really trivial. Um, So, and just left it at that. And I still have no doubt, no question that he did all those things that he has said some very racist things or shared some very racist things. He's done those things. Those are real. It's not an opinion. Uh, It's not alternate alternate alternative facts. Those are real things. What I believe has happened over the past year or so has been a deeper look inside himself to hopefully ask why. Did things get pretty dark for a couple of years? And do I need to be an asshole? Right? There's the funny asshole. Then there's the guy nobody wants to be around, asshole. And that's what he evolved into. I don't know what sits in the guy's heart truly. I don't know if it is if there's just deep undercurrent of racism that's been well hidden for years before and it finally came out for a couple years and it's gone away. I don't think that's the case, but I just am not really in the mood for playing with that while it's happening. And it seems like he has made a turn back towards the better, the the fun, happier, warmer guy and. With that in mind, uh, I just decided to say, you know what, Um, although he's been given multiple second chances, uh, I've never been in a position where it's been a first or second chance with me, so I need to give the guy a second chance, just as I readily say everyone's do, and I think most people would agree. Second chances are a necessity in life, so I mean, none of this means anything, Keith, to be super honest. Like, whether Paul likes me, doesn't like me, thinks I like him, thinks I hate him. I mean, his life, my life won't change, nor have they. But I don't have anything against the guy. I do my best to be more open to him, but there's certainly that caution, right? The uh, That dog's bitten before. It hasn't bitten me, necessarily, other than just losing his fricking mind at the worst possible time for what was going on in our household. But anyways, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, We don't talk nearly as much. I mean, almost never, you know, maybe a text here, there, um, a little bit out the track if we see one another, but the friendliness and the picking up the phone to talk about stuff like we used to hasn't really become a thing again. Would I be against that? Not at all. And Maybe, time permitting, we'll make that happen. So, uh, yeah, just trying to be honest here. And if someone in at least my value systems, systems, my value system is acting foul, well, uh, I'm just not going to play that. As I would hope, if I am acting foul to someone else's sensibilities, they would uh, put me in the appropriate place as well. So there you go. Thanks for asking that, man. Uh, That was really cool. Adam Smith, as we get down to the last couple, Adam Smith says, since you've been enjoying refreshing brews on the Q and a shows, can you match IndyCar drivers to their beer styles? Who would be the thick, robust stout, the watered down light beer? How about which driver would be the cheap gas station cooler beer? (laughs) I love it. I love it. And unfortunately, because my brain's a little bit tired, I do need to pull up the driver list again. All right, who's the stout? Who's the one of them all where you're like, okay, that guy's going to drink you under the table and take a punch. Oh, that, that list isn't too too long an IndyCar, is it? I mean, you, I, I would gravitate towards Scandinavian or British or Australian New Zealand. Those are... Either punchy places or liquor holding places. Oh, man. I know back in the day, Dixon raged pretty hard. Um, I don't know if, I don't think Power drinks. That's the thing, which is really good. Could you imagine, Will, I'm um, drinking all the time, Power? Like that, that, oh, boy. Uh, TMZ would just set up a new office right across from his house because that'd be pretty nuts um who would be the stout would that be connor daly i think he does i think he is the most practiced among all drivers when it comes to beverage intake so yeah it'd probably be connor plus you could all you could yeah all right I kind of missed that one right off the bat. That's clearly Connor Daly, right? Uh, water down light beer. Now that's funny cuz I might have to say almost everyone. Um Who's the one who you th- you'd think would get half a Coors Light down and like get a, like need some help standing and get a little tipsy? Oh boy, that's a great one, Adam. Thank you. I'm, you know, what I'm trying to doing here. I'm trying to think of who you all are thinking of right away, and and I'm struggling a little bit. Um, who would be? Who's the lightweight? Right? Wouldn't be Marco. That guy's out all the time drinking with his buddies. Come on now. Uh, is it Veech? veach zach just is such like he seems like he is in church every day singing choir um i feel it might be veach but i also feel like i might be underselling him like there might be some wicked tales of this kid growing up and just you know guzzling stuff and he's got the tolerance of the freaking bear i don't know but it might be Veach. i'm going to have to check in with him on that adam as for the cheap gas station cooler beer who's who's that guy in the paddock who's the i don't care i'm wearing 10 dollar walmart shoes and you know hand me down whatever's do we have one of those guys i don't know if we do i'm trying to think who might be the I don't care just as long as it says the word beer on it. I don't think many of our guys drink beer, like really drink beer. A lot of wine, I bet. But (sighs) I was going to say New Garden, but he's actually got a very defined sense of style. Charlie Kimball. Charlie Kimball's that guy, right? Charlie just strikes me as a, I want to have a beer and gets a beer without really caring about what the beer is. And that's kind of gas station, right? Um, I also realized that Michael McHugh, I forgot to answer your who is the Alex gideon Neil of the paddock. Alex Lifeson, uh, boy, the kind of fun glue guy, right, who's very talented, not an all-time great, but really, you know, solid and enduring wow, I really hope drivers aren't listening to this because I'm just kind of giving them all a reason to punch me in the head even more than I normally do. Oh, so that's some criteria there, right? Glue guy, phenomenal at what they do, might not be spoken about in the true, like, hall, hall of fame, but just, and also delivered year after year after year without wavering. Hmm. wow yeah i i I don't know if anybody really fits that bill maybe i've set the the standard too high for that mike i don't know you maybe you're gonna have to tell me who comes to mind for you getty multi-dimensional one of the greatest bassists of all times uh a great singer if you like his style of singing, but also could be the worst singer ever if you don't. So possibly, you know, amazing and maybe someone who fans either love or hate. There's no down the middle. Maybe that's the Getty Lee of IndyCar. Oh, I mean that'd have to be Graham Rahal, right? I mean, more people talk smack about him uh slash love him than any but then i think any driver right he seems to have darn near 50 50 uh in terms of opinion so that might be getty as for neil i mean come on right that is the all-timer that's the all-time great in in that group in his category i mean we'd have to say dixon right it'd be silly if we said anybody other than dixon uh, multi-faceted and that's the other thing too where i think there's a great kind of parallel here michael where we have dixon who won his first championship in an old school pretty basic irl chassis uh, with a toyota took his next honda power obviously more advanced spectalar chassis Won the Indy 500 as well. Took his third championship. Totally different chassis. Twin turbo V6 using Honda. Wins his next one. Manufacture Aero Kits with a Chevy. (laughs) Wins his next one without the Manufacture Aero Kits. Back to a completely different thing as well. Universal Aero Kits with a Honda. Just someone so versatile over the years with the tools changing um in mastering each one i mean that's neil pert right that's the guy whose drum kit grew not just in size and tools but electronics and drum pads and all kinds of things in and out from pure call it analog to digital to a blend uh, and just remain at the top all along i'd say that's a perfect fit for dixon wouldn't you someone who threw a bunch of very defined in different eras of cars competition back when it was the IRL then the IndyCar series then when cart teams came over and then all kinds of changes this that and the other yeah just uh yeah so I think I got Getty and Neil Alex that's one where I'm going to need your help let's go to where are we going here as we start to wind down finally Ronnie Mons I was wondering if it was Ronnie Mund from Stern Show. Any updates to new manufacturers joining the series? Also, rumors are spreading that Honda might leave for NASCAR. Is there a backup plan if this happens? No news right now, Ronnie, of a third manufacturer joining the series. Definite rumors about Honda and NASCAR because Honda's senior official, one of their senior officials, former head of Honda Performance Development, Art Sancier, said they're looking at it, they're considering it. If they were to leave, I it would suck. But I also believe that, as Mike Hole explained on our guest episode this week, if that were to happen, they would need multiple years to ramp up for that. They also have multiple years left on supply contracts with teams and the series. So if they were to make that call, I think there would be enough time, right? This wouldn't be a, oh, they announced it in September and they're gone for the following IndyCar season. Um, I think there'd be enough time for IndyCar to develop a replacement. And if we have one coming here soon, which again, you know, we keep hearing there might be some good stuff in terms of talks, not being done, but just more encouraging talks on the manufacturer edition side. If Honda were to choose to do that, which I think would be epically stupid, but if they were to choose to do that, I think IndyCar would be okay. And if that does happen, boy, yeah, uh, boy, I can't figure out the angle at all. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not, I would be concerned because we would lose an amazing partner and friend to IndyCar. I'm not so concerned about the health of IndyCar uh, in terms of there being another manufacturer to step in and take that weight. Uh, But Honda is a bit like Firestone, right? They've been around forever. They do so many things, not just motors, sponsoring of races, and just they help in so many ways. Chevy does as well. So I'm not singling Honda out as if they do more or better, but just if you look at Honda, the consistency of their commitment to IndyCar racing, uh, I mean, that <laughs> it's been almost unbroken for, for what? This is going to be coming up on, what is it, 30 years in 2023, I think. Um, yeah, so we wouldn't want to lose that. Uh, great statement there, Pruitt. Keith Lee, again, says MP, the Herda and Verstappen names have, are having great success. Who are the next two or second or third generation drivers that we should be keeping an eye on for the future? Is it young Dudu Barrichello, Sebastian Montoya, Mick Schumacher? Young Mick obviously is doing well in Europe. I don't know if he has jumped out as equal to his father. I think that would be a really crazy expectation. Good old Juan Monterio, though. I think his kid Sebastian still young, I mean boy, he's got a long ways to go before he gets into cars uh out of karting and all that, but uh it, it seems like there might be a real chip off the old block right there, and uh okay, hi, Rocky Rock is back making noise thanks pal uh young Eduardo Barrichello, I think he's just too too early into his car racing the lower rungs of the road to Indy for us to make any grand declaration yet. But um, at least of the three you've mentioned and who I think might be able to go really far. Thanks rock. uh, That would be second generation Montoya. Uh, Simon Rafi similar says with three sons of famous fathers and competitive Indy cars, that being Colton heard of Graham Rahal and Marco Andretti, two of them driving for the same team, that being Marco and Colton, Which one do you think will come out on top by the end of the season? My money's on Colton. I, brother, bet it right now. (laughs) If if Colton is not in the top five in the standings at the end of the season, I will be shocked. Keep in mind the kid ended the year seventh in the standings with the little broke-all-the-time Harding-Steinbrenner team, right? Seventh! Finished ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray in the standings. Graham Rahal, Sato, Bourdais, yada, yada, right? I mean, come on. So, looking at 2019, Andretti Autosport, four full-time cars. You have Colton as the fifth affiliate satellite team, using the technologies from Andretti and a great race engineer, but again, no money. Well, that kid if you think of this call it five car combined and ready footprint the kid finished p2 in the championship among those five drivers only alexander rossi finished ahead of him okay i mean so imagine now the kid at the main mothership with a better budget uh uh, yeah um if it isn't Colton, this is it's, that is going to be a crazy headline to write at the end of the year, that the kid was not, not only the, the best among the second-generation drivers, but uh, with Rossi finishing third in the standings uh, and Colton finishing seventh, I don't know where Colton's going to stack up compared to Alexander in overall talent. But I would say if the Andretti team gets off to a better start, Hunter Ray doesn't have as many cartoon anvils falling on him. Colton avoids sophomore slump. Uh, This should be a really tight and wicked three-car presence towards the front of the pack everywhere we go. And the gap, that being Rossi in third, the next closest Andretti driver being down in seventh in the standings, I don't think we're going to see as big of a gap. So, and really honestly, I'll be half surprised if Colton is not the top driver in the team in the standings at the end of the year. All things being equal, uh I think we're staring at a talent that is boy. If he did that in his rookie year, <laughs> imagine what he's going to do with more experience that that should be scaring a lot of drivers all right where are we going to go here to uh almost just about kind of sort of say goodbye uh we're going to go to henry chapman talking about pato wards instagram story from monday says it seems as though andrew jarvis former performance engineer at the mclaren f1 team with lando norris has moved over to the IndyCar operation. did confirm that the team kind of sort of thought he was there i don't know what role he's going to have if it's full-time or what just because they haven't gotten back to me so i need to follow up there that'd be an interesting one wouldn't it that'd be kind of stir out right uh Alexei hrushko really nice says hey marshals great news to hear cooper tires has stayed on for the third season mentions that when it comes time to buy tires for his car he's going to look for some cooper tires in his native ukraine asks about IndyCar teams and their testing habits in the winter at Sebring. says, why not hold a race there? And he says, and I checked, neither USAC or CART or IRL ever raced at Sebring. Why? And why is Sebring so popular as a testing venue? It's flat with a specific surface. It has minimum in common with other IndyCar circuits. Do teams only go there because of weather? Well, a couple things. Weather, yes. Obviously, it's usually pretty good. There are limitations on the tracks that teams can use in terms of the ones that they race on, Alexi. So this is something where they can go to a track uh, where they don't race on and don't need any special dispensation. Uh, it's used quite often because it's a short, not very high grip uh, circuit. This, again, being the short course, not the full, what, 3.7 mile Sebring full road course. It's used quite often to mimic street course racing. A short point and squirt and a lot of corners, low to medium speed corners, vast majority of what you're doing there. A lot of left, right, quick, you know, quick transition being asked to the car, which mimics a street course environment. Plus, again, it's not high grip. And especially if you get a lot of heat going, things get even more slick, which is mimicking street courses even better so it's readily available it's something that helps teams to work on not just their street course stuff but the road course as well um and it's just very easy to get to uh all with the final note you mentioned about weather you know you can go there and more often than not you're going to be able to test and not have to worry about snow Crazy rain, crazy whatever. So it's consistent. I also think cost-wise, it's not too bad. So there you go. As for holding a racer, no, not a chance. Uh, You want to use the whole course. That would be the most entertaining thing. And the cars would snap in half. (laughs) The bumps are just too mental for that to even be an option. Uh, Rick McCumber says, Uh, in an effort to reduce overall cost, has it been considered to remove all Friday practice uh, events and activities, possibly make all short ovals a one-day show? It'd be the same for all teams, and everyone would have to be, quote, fast off the truck starting Saturdays. Just presenting this idea, considering new expenses on the Aero screen and escalating damper costs on top of everything else. Uh, Also says, MPPS, on a side note, I'm proud to say I still have my driven movie ticket, even as faded as it is. Ah, that's great, Rick. Well, I don't want to keep saying this every episode, but don't let the complaining about damper costs really set root as like, oh my God, it's bringing down the sport. As long as something is left open for teams to develop, they're going to put all their money there. So it's a rule thing. It's not a quote damper thing. That's the area IndyCar is left open for teams to uh, go wild and come up with their own individual take on things and so naturally they spend a ton of money there. If it was moved to another part of the car, another area, the same money, if not more, would be spent. So, you know, it's crazy costs in and of itself. But overall, we're just moving around the the, the same same concept. If it's left open, teams are going to spend money on it to exploit performance. As for the overall costs and going to the just a two day show for the say road and street courses or just a one day show for the short ovals. I mean, it, it wouldn't be too crazy. I think for some of the short ovals. Yeah. Uh, well, Iowa in particular, I think stands out as really the perfect place to do that. Maybe Texas as well. Uh, I think Texas, although that's not a short oval, I'd vote for doing that at, at Texas and on uh, at Iowa, uh, get in one day, knock it out, have fun. You know, we haven't seen, like two-day turnouts really be successful so i'd be down for that there as for elsewhere you know, the truth is fridays at most road and street courses are not great in terms of crowd size my only concern and this is where you all as the fans need to weigh in would be would you feel as if you're losing something you know how many how many folks really take the day off work to go and See the Friday at Mid Ohio or Elkhart Lake or wherever else, would that going with Portland, would that going away, you know, just really enrage you and feel like you're being ripped off? I mean, we assume ticket prices would be a little friendlier since they're two days instead of three, but does that mean IndyCar now earns less money for a sanction fee to then put into the leader circle payments that they give to teams because we're only there for two days and only getting paid for two days again i I don't know about all these knock-on effects rick but i can say that uh one or two places i think that'd be great texas iowa get in get out have fun they'd be great races too right Uh, when we see teams are not as studied as they want to be uh you go through some pretty wild swings of performance in the race and that tends to make for really exciting racing as for that, on the road and street courses, since that's, what, uh, 12 of the 17 races or so? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. You all would have to say whether you'd be good with that or not. Uh, Sean Lee, a couple of these I can just get too quickly. So as we say goodbye, Sean Lee, more of a drawing Reinbold type question. Uh, the announcement that they're adding races is amazing. I'm a Sage Karam guy and a Chevy guy. What I find odd, though, is that a Indy 500 only team has decided to add road courses. Hashtag me personally. I think it's easier to add on more ovals since it's the same car and kit. Or is this part of the plan? Uh, just not announced. Well, keep this in mind, Sean. They were never an indie only team. They were an everything team until they had some pretty significant financial uh, setbacks in twenty in a third of the way through the 2013 season. So they have been an indie only team for what five six years now it's never their desire so i would while it is accurate to characterize them as an indy 500 only team it hasn't been because that's all they've wanted to do so that's the first thing to know the second thing is with wix filters stepping up as a sponsor got to keep in mind that they get a pretty good hit at the indy 500 Sorry, taking a little sip there of my latte. I have a latte to stay awake. Um, Wix might want them to represent them elsewhere. Sponsors are often the drivers of what you do, how you do it, and where you do it. So they already get a really good hit at the Indy 500, as they have for a couple years now with Sage. All fantastic. If they're willing to spend more money to be on major television, to get more time, get more impact into certain markets, then I think that's a pretty fantastic thing. And that's where I would put my head here. Not so much oval team, do more ovals, but hey, if you want to go do some road courses and you've got a sponsor, it's like, yeah, we want to be in front of those people here and those people there. That's the best news of all. That tells me that they have people that see value in them being more than just a one trick oval pony uh joe van galen you ask has there ever been a notion across market and imsa event if you take kansas speedway for example you could market a ticket to an imsa night race coupled with a minor league baseball game a soccer game and a theme park and you never have to get in a car in that sports complex they have there and their hotels all over the place uh he says the kansas roval is the kansas roval a great track with great passing that would be a no uh no but neither is monaco true but we're not going to compare the merits of a kansas roval versus monaco uh it says hashtag me personally a good marketing ploy can overcome just about anything yeah 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 cross market a race with a concert but what about other sports i think that's a great idea man what i don't know is how many people would buy that ticket so if we think about indycar coming to my bay area third weekend of september where are we we're a week or two into the nfl season but our indycar race is sunday so i don't know where the 49ers would be but if they happen to be playing at home um the timing might be a little bit of a conflict there uh what else do we have the nba season has not started by then we would maybe possibly have some san francisco giants action if maybe and or oakland a's i don't know how many oakland a's fans we have outside of the bay area but i think the giants have a little bit more cachet so maybe there could be something there i am embarrassed to mention i don't follow hockey so i don't know if the san jose sharks season will have started by then so i don't know if that would work in the bay area here just timing wise but that could be an interesting thing um how's this this might be the first time i'm Doing this on the podcast. Joe, why don't you take a look at some of the IndyCar races on the calendar and try and come up with some local sports teams that might be in season and might be playing uh, day before the night, you know, that night after, uh, you know, the race is over, whatever. Some sort of package where you can get people to come out and enjoy and do more than just a single sport. I think that might actually be pretty cool, but I'm going to rely on you to uh, give me some feedback as to whether I should send that to uh, good old Roger Penske uh, as an idea. And I sent him one yesterday, and uh, he seemed to like it, so we'll see. All right, we're down to the last two. Dan Tenoff says, Marshall, while we eagerly await the sequel to Driven, there's one thing that we didn't know was missing from our lives until now. That is Driven the Musical. What would be the title of its biggest number? Uh, would it also give springtime with Hitler a run as the worst musical ever? Since I was also going to suggest that having the Zibs, that being Colton Hurtis band, as the house band, but not only is Colton Hurtis not seen driven yet, I would spare them from being associated with a steaming pile of musical entertainment. What do you say? Yeah, we, you know, we don't want to kill the Zibs, right? That, that's just friendly fire that they don't need to take driven the musical i mean this is so good dan for real i i I wish i had the money and talent to know how to make it happen what would be the title of its biggest number we're crossing eras a little bit crossing swords we're crossing eras a little bit uh and series but only a couple years apart um And the movie was so bad that as a musical, I don't, I think everyone would just kind of take it as like, oh yeah, of course that's a perfect fit. Um, it's biggest musical number, right? It's gotta be, I am Indy, right? The song that I've referred to, and I think many have mistaken it for is I am Mindy. M I N D Y. Like Mork and Mindy, if you're old enough to remember that TV show. That's what I always think of when I hear it. I am Mindy. Oh, that's good for you. Where's Mork? Um, that's got to be it, right? I am Mindy? And question, or we'll do it two in a row here, throw back at you, Dan. I need you to respond with your answer on who would play Gene Simmons singing I am Mindy in driven the musical Uh, that could be a good one all right we're closing here joshua renicker sent this in last week i was too asleep at the wheel to answer it. it says let's say netflix has picked up a docudrama on the indianapolis motor speedway it's doing very well we're now up to season four in this season we're introduced some new characters a young roger penske as well as a young robin miller joined the cast played by who and more importantly play out the scene that brings them into the series. Oh, this is a good one, Josh. I would say the intro scene for Roger coming into the 500. It has to be with his father, Julius, right? What did he say? 1953 was his first time there driving in. I I see this re recreation i see reenacting young roger however old he was uh 13 15 17 whatever wide-eyed obviously dressed perfect period correct 1953 whatever it was uh just big wide-eyed had a bow tie on right you know he's got a bow tie of course he had to hair is perfect shoes are polished teeth are ding just for the moment he smiles all of these things just perfect but everything's shot from super low right kind of worm's eye view looking up so him walking into gasoline alley even though i'm sure he didn't back then but just the whole scene is set just as young roger penske introduced to the 500 by his father julius and you see him the camera pans up and you see this little hand holding his father granted he'd be not little but holding his father's hand although you probably wouldn't do if you're a teenage boy but again just go with me here uh, but again it's just you try you get the feeling even if it's maybe not totally accurate on age um this is a young boy and just seeing things bewilderment and you have drivers of that era folks who are cast obviously to look like all the famous drivers of that jalopy-ish era roadster era then we cut to the return right what 15 years later 16 years later as an entrant we see him in this kind of college age you know definite more cardigan type you can tell that he's ivy league You see him walking into Gasoline Alley again, but obviously camera angle, same first-person perspective, not third-person, Simon. First-person or second-person. We'll go first. Shot from his perspective again, but here we are, 1969, Indianapolis 500, A.J. Foyt, Mario Andretti, Bobby Unser, just all the characters, right? Cast perfectly once again as Rocky's on the desk, biting a cardboard box. Thank you, pal. This time, the camera's moved up a little higher. We can tell, we can see from the perspective, this is a grown man, see him walking through, acknowledging the foits and the unsers and the mart, right? So, clearly, we just see the evolution of this man coming in. All of a sudden, sideswiped, right? Walking along, camera gets knocked not to the ground, but kind of spun halfway around. Here is a foppish-haired, hippie-ish-looking, skinny kid, bewildered. Robin Miller, bucket hat on as well. Thanks, Rock. I'm glad you like where we're going here. It's Robin Miller, right? He walking the opposite direction, Gasoline Alley, with Herc, Jim Herdabees, not even aware, just oblivious. Might have been craning his neck the other way, looking at Linda Vaughn or who knows what. But RP, beautiful sentiment coming back to Indy. Gasoline Alley now for the first time as a team owner. Manifestation of a childhood dream. And it's spoiled by Miller. Basically mowing through him, half knocking him over. Oh, hey, who the hell are you? You you, you get the college campus address wrong? Some sort of smartass comment. Miller's probably eating a pork tenderloin. We can assume there's some mustard on his shirt. Uh, hasn't shaved necessarily. Uh, we, we just, we know that he's going to be a mess, uh, probably bleeding, right? You know, he's done something on the car that he'd know how to do and cut himself, just a shambles. And here we have this meeting of men at Indianapolis, who would then go on to know one another for 50-plus years, work together. Great thing, though, two of them cast as who they are back in this 1969 run-in. One changes in no way. The other one changes slightly. RP, we know, same guy, same everything, same standard of excellence. Miller, fewer mustard stains from those pork tenderloins but maybe kind of just the same guy <laughs> a little bit better uh but kind of sort of the same guy uh, i think I'm trying to think who from an acting standpoint would play both I mean he's too old i don't even know if he's still alive and this is i sadly it's an old reference but bob denver comes to mind for robin miller the guy who played gilligan and gilligan's island Uh, if you're old enough to remember that you you might see the the very strong similarities not sure who among modern old actors we would say uh really fits the robin miller character type um that one i'm gonna again maybe i need your help on this one as well uh, who would be a Robin Miller? I mean, that you know part of me wants to say Will Ferrell a little bit, but I don't think we can age him up that much. Um let, let me think on let me think on RP for a little bit, and maybe uh the Miller answer will come. Wow. This is a little bit of a struggle for RP, right? I mean he's eighty-two years old. Uh i mean clint eastwood i don't think that'd be a very good fit if he was taller if he was taller and did a better american accent i'd say anthony hopkins might be the perfect roger penske right kind of statuesque you know doesn't isn't a man of a lot of words but you he conveys a lot without having to say a lot he definitely stands out as someone that uh might be a great roger penske but probably a little bit of work there to get him to look exactly like him miller i mean if he lost a lot of weight a lot of weight i'd say jack nicholson might make a good miller right they've both got that kind of roguish don't give a f thing about them that'd be perfect um boy who else I mean, I'm struggling here a little bit on these two because with one guy who's seventy the other one who's eighty two uh I've gotta try and remember who's alive and who's not alive I think we might have to go with uh, Anthony Hopkins for Penske and we'll just imagine a skinny Jack Nicholson, bumbling Jack Nicholson, as Robin Miller. Man, that'd be a lot of fun. I would so pay to watch that. uh But send in your ideas. That's that's the thing. I love that you all send in these silly fantasy things for me to try and work through. And I get some of them, and some of them I don't. But uh I really want to hear what you guys think because as I find out, whenever I do these, you always send in better ideas than what I come up with. So hit me with the uh the three members of rush in in the indycar paddock who are your picks that'll be great seriously great to hear Uh, i don't know if my i am mindy pick is the perfect one for driven the musical but give me some ideas on that and then finally here uh, josh's question who would you cast as uh roger penske Uh, I know you said young Roger Penske, but I'm just trying to think, you know, uh, more who they are today, possibly. And maybe that's where I need help most of all, is a young Penske and a young Robin Miller. Uh, Send in your thoughts. Give me your ideas on who we might cast for that. And it's time for me to say goodbye for this week's Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com, And Bell Racing Helmets, USA.